Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, Charged Up Studio listeners, and welcome back to another episode where you get charged up for success. I'm Dana Olivo, your host and CEO of Marketatomy LLC. And today we've got a very exciting podcast for you. This podcast is for all of those closet public speakers out there who dream about speaking on stage before an audience, whether seasoned, somewhat seasoned, or just dabbling. Public speaking and the ability to attract and hold the audience is a science. So our speaker today is Michael Davis with Speaking CPR. He's a coach, author, and speaker. He has trained business leaders, sales professionals, professional speakers, and TEDx speakers on four continents to deliver talks that have been viewed over three million times. Today, he will be speaking about storytelling from the stage. So please, let's all welcome to Charged Up Studio, Michael Davis. Thank you, Dana. It's great to be here. Always love to talk about storytelling. And I have to tell you, you mentioned right off the bat that people should come out of the closet and speak. Well, you know, in the pandemic, we've discovered that sometimes it's better to stay in the closet because the sound absorption is much better. The sound is better. So you just get your camera and stay in your closet and speak. You can still do that, too. That's true. That's true. You know, that is you have to take that into consideration. You know, things have changed over the last 20 months or so, you know, um, the, the delivery methods, everything. So we've covered this topic several times in the past, meaning public speaking, okay? All with different points of view. So how would you say is the best way of getting rid of the fear of public speaking? I know it sounds cliche and basic, but you just have to do it. Uh, There's a concept called systematic desensitization. I actually picked this up from a uh, Hall of Fame speaker named Steve Siebold, and he talks about this. He coaches people in this human interaction that he coaches that you, you just have to do it. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. It's like driving a car for the first few months, riding a bike, any skill, it's repetition. Here's the common misconception that I've picked up from people is that they'll come to me and say, I want to get rid of my nerves. And I say, no, you don't. You should never get rid of it. Yeah, you should never not feel nervous. That's a good sign. It tells me that you care and that you want to do a good job for your audience. When you don't feel nervous, be concerned because you're not there. You're emotionally not in it. 
Yeah, you're not taking it seriously. Yeah, exactly. Or you'd rather be somewhere else or or whatever the thought process is there. It's managing those nerves, knowing how Mm -hmm. to control them. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I've been doing this podcast for about two years now, a little mm-hmm. over two years. And I go back periodically and I listen to the first ones that we did. And then I had a partner at that time. And then after about, um, I want to say about 20 podcasts, then she ended up backing out and then it was just me. Mm-hmm. So you know, I go back and I listen and with the partner, it was easier for me. You know, she was used to it and and things like that. But then when it was just me, I felt out of water. You know, I I felt I was a fish out of water. But now that I have got probably another 60 or so under my belt, you know, I'm finding it's easier for me to get through these podcasts. As interesting as they are and everything, um, I'm finding that I'm in my zone when I'm doing these now. Good for you. Curious, when you go back and watch those first 20 out of what, 80 now that you've done, Mm -hmm. what do you notice that you were doing or not doing then that just wasn't effective? Well, I noticed I was stiffer (laughs) in my delivery, very stiff in my delivery, um, thinking I had to be perfect, things like that. What I find now is that I'm much smoother. I can, I can converse on a more conversational um, methodology than I did in the beginning. And I kind of let it flow, kind of let it flow. It does not have to be planned. You know, I do plan for every podcast in the sense of with questions and, you know, and things like that. But what happens is I find that, I might integrate my own questions that weren't on the script or whatever, you know, uh, things like that. So kind of make it, take it in a different direction or whatever, these little side things. (laughs) Yeah. What you just described is also the speaker's journey. You feel stiff, rehearsed and uncertain in the beginning and it's just get it out. Right. There comes that day when you feel like you're in the flow. Right. that's when you've internalized your message. You're not thinking about it. You can go to your analogy off script. Yeah. Somebody in the audience may have a question or you may sense that where your script was supposed to go is not where this audience needs to be taken. Right. And you'll be comfortable doing it. In the beginning, you can't do it because you're in your head. You're thinking about it too much. Right. Whereas when it flows, that's the key. And the only way to do that, there are no shortcuts. Don't invest in those courses and those people out there that tell you, I've got the shortcut. No, you've got to do it. That's the only way to get better. And I have found that um, just speaking off the cuff, as opposed to scripted, I feel much more comfortable because I'm talking about something I know, you know, it's, it's my passion can come out when it's that. When I'm trying to, to work with a script, I'm always worried about losing my place or, you know, or, or something like that. I can't get that passion out when I'm talking with a script as I can when I'm talking to the audience, like I'm having a conversation just like we are. Yes, exactly. You know? It's interesting you say that because what a lot of, this isn't just for speaking or podcasting, right. this is all skills. Right. The people who do it so well make the rest of us think, oh, they just got up there and did that. 
the reason they're so good at it is they put in all those hours and days, weeks, months, and years to know the basics and internalize them so they could go off script. You can't walk into any new skill going off script. You've got to know the basics. Right. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and I think it was Picasso they talked about. And it was a group of artists, young artists, and they said, well, he didn't follow the rules. And the instructor told them he didn't have to because he learned the rules a long time ago and learned the basics so well that he could go off canvas, so to speak. So what you've you just described the journey of the speaker who has to internalize the basics. Exactly. Exactly. So you did talk a little bit about misconceptions earlier. What are the two biggest misconceptions of public speaking? Well, the biggest one that alluded to is that you're either born a great speaker or you're not. Right. I discovered that through my own personal journey. Uh, when I was six years old, I was humiliated in my first grade class in front of my classmates. And uh-huh. when, when that experience was over, my little six-year-old brain told me, don't you ever stand in front of people again. That was awful. Yeah. And for about 20, 25 years, I did not take advantage of opportunities where I could have been in the band. I could have gotten involved in a drama club. All of those, I have those regrets to this day that I didn't have those experiences because I had that fear. Well, I was forced to deal with that fear when I was a financial advisor and I was giving retirement planning workshops. And my boss said, uh, your presentations are lousy. The evaluations say you're lousy, fix this or else. Uh Uh Now it was the threat of losing a job became greater than the fear. And when I got into Toastmasters, And eventually the National Speakers Association, the first lesson I learned was that people are not born great speakers. Mm -hmm. There are Hall of Fame speakers who came into the speaking world terrified, had stuttering problems, for example, all these issues. So that was number one. The second myth that people have is you have to be perfect. Mm -mm. And, And Dana, you've said this word a few times now, conversational. Right. You cannot be conversational and be perfect. No, no. (laughs) There's no such thing as a perfect speech. Yeah. And, and you know, even the words that you use can be out of context sometimes. Yes. But don't worry about it. You know, uh, it it comes, it comes with practice. You know, I just had a a podcast recording um, with another guest and and she spoke about um, uh, the verbiage that you use when you are on stage mm-hmm. or, or in front of the camera, you know, and things like that. And words that you don't use, depending on who you're talking to, if you're talking to a CEO or if you're talking to an audience of startups, or if you're talking to, you know, keeping that in mind. So yes. Right. Yes. You definitely want to speak the language of your audience, right? especially in business. However, one of the key ideas that I try to help people with is that in the beginning, when you put a speech or a story together, you've got a written version. Mm -hmm. It's how you write. Mm -hmm. When you start to practice, that is not going to sound correct to you. Right. A critical question to ask yourself throughout the process, whether it's the first writing, the 10th writing, revisions, rehearsals, do I speak like this in everyday conversation? 
when I when I first started podcasting, my my husband would tell me, he says, you don't sound like yourself. Yeah. You need to relax. You need to, you know, he used to always tell me, he says, you don't sound like yourself. And so it took practice. It, it took a lot of practice for me to get comfortable with it. Yeah. And I would um, urge you, if you ever go back and listen, listen to how you were saying things, not yeah. so much your tone. Well, tone of voice is important, tone, but what tone, were the words? Tonality is, is critical. Yeah, it, it is critical. It, what words were you using as, as opposed to how you really speak? And we're yeah. all guilty of it in the beginning. We're so concerned about looking good and yeah. sounding good. And that's all, not what audiences want. They want no, the real you, no. warts and all. So uh, let's get back to the story. What is sure. an example of a failure story? Failure story is, uh, well, I like when I talk about, for example, your origin story. This is when you talk about some point in your life when you were struggling, you failed, and you didn't know how to overcome it. And the way you overcame it was, first of all, you created a new goal. What what was it? I had to have a new objective. You didn't know how to achieve it. You just knew you wanted it. And that's where somewhere along the way, a guide comes into your life, someone who shows you a new and better way to achieve the goal. You make changes. You have to change who you are, not just your actions, but who you are internally. And along that journey, you do make those changes. You accomplish the goal. And the entire story is about transformation. Right, right. So this is, all right. So this is where you're becoming vulnerable. This is where you are authentic in what your delivery is. All right. Um, Give me an example of, well, I'm trying to think. Give me an example of a story that you might have heard or that you can talk to. I can share a personal one that you and That's, I talked yeah. about when we first met. Uh-huh. Th- this was the day that, and a little backstory here. I have been a fan of the Indianapolis 500 since I was 10 years old. I've been mm-hmm. there 42 times. I mean, oh, I'm a wow. fanatic about this event. And it was always a dream of mine. What would it be like to drive one of those cars? And lo and behold, a few years ago, my sweetheart bought me an eight lap drive in a real indie car at Indianapolis. Wow. Not during the race, obviously, but still real car. Uh-huh. I'm excited about this for weeks, Dana. I cannot, I mean, I fall asleep thinking about it. I'm like a kid again. <laughs> Get to the day of the event. We have to go through an orientation. Right. When I walked out of that orientation, I was never so scared in my life. The gentleman leading the orientation walked into the room and he looked like a Marine drill sergeant. He said, my name is Bob and you may have the experience of a lifetime, but only if you do exactly what I tell you, don't be like the last group that was out there. Some of those people are going to get themselves killed. Like killed. Nobody said anything about that in the marketing material. I said, what, what's this all about? (laughs) And for the next hour, he proceeded to tell us, everything that could go wrong. And if you do something stupid in one of these cars, yeah, you could get seriously hurt. Yeah. So by the time they strapped me in, I was, I petrified. was petrified. And when the green flag waved, 
I mean, I barely pushed down on the accelerator and this is a high performance race car. And I'm kind of sputtering along the track on the first lap and the steering wheel. And since we're a podcast, I'll describe this. It's shaking like this. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what have I done? (laughs) What have I got myself into? What am I doing wrong? They didn't say this was going to happen. And this continued for the first lap, which is about a minute and I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is just terrible. This is not what I wanted. This, this is not what I dreamed about. And my really, my dream experience had become a nightmare pretty fast. Wow. And right when mm-hmm. I'm about to throw in the towel, I get this voice in my earpiece. And it's the spotter. This is the person who sits up in the stands. And he watches uh-huh. you to make sure you're doing everything correctly. And he says, hey, this is Jeff. You're doing just fine. Remember, we told you the first lap's a little bit uh, unnerving because you're getting used to the car. And remember, it gets better and smoother the faster you go. So you're doing fine. And I'm thinking, I don't remember any of that. I just remember hitting the wall. (laughs) Don't don't hit the wall. He said, now, you got to get over in the middle lane. Got to push down on that accelerator. You're going too slow. And then I'm sure you've been in a situation before where somebody's tone of voice makes all the difference. Right. And he was right. so reassuring that I thought, okay, I guess I'll do it. So steering wheel shaking and I pushed down on that accelerator and right. shaking stopped. Right. And it did get smoother. And he also yeah. had said one other thing to me, he said, you got to get your foot off the brake. Yeah, put it on the gas and get it off the brake. Get on the gas, get off the brake. So he, once I did that, it did get smoother and I felt more in control. And I was still pretty nervous after on that second lap. The car was going a lot faster, but it wasn't. I wasn't feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm going to hit the wall. Right. And with each lap, I got faster. I felt more in control. And there were two laps left. And my whole goal here had been to pass at least one car at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, just so I could say I've done it. Yeah. And Jeff came back on. He said, now, if you want to go fast and you want to pass the cars, you're going to have to go all out. You got to get in the passing lane. You got to step on that, push all the way down, keep that foot off the brake and go full throttle. And wow. I went around about another three quarters of a lap. And sure enough, there were two cars going down the back straightaway. And I passed them halfway down through my last lap. And it was like, yes. Yes. <laughs> so in the, in the span of about eight minutes, I went from total terror. Right. To absolute joy with a memory that I will never, ever forget. Right. And I tell people that story because that's really not the story. Where the story is for me is a few days later in the aftermath, thinking about the whole experience, the words that Jeff said to me made me think about my entire life. And that was, get your foot off the brake and step on the gas. Right. And I realized from a career standpoint, I'd been riding with my foot jammed on the brake. Yeah. I wasn't taking risks. I wasn't doing what my gut was telling me I should be doing for the last 10 years. Wow. I was in the financial world. I wasn't happy, but it was just enough of an income and just enough security. But I, at this point, I'm 55 years old. And I said, you better get in the fast lane if you're ever going to do it. If you're going to do it by the time you retire. (laughs) 
retirement to me is I'm not going to do it because I'm because I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm I'm living my calling, but I don't know that I ever would have if I hadn't had the experience in a race car of all things. But that's my my challenge to audience is just to ask them a question. Are you living with one foot on the brake? Yeah. And, you know, it's it's you know, it's funny that we talk about this because you and I have talked and um, we talked a little bit about what had happened with me down in Brazil, you know, mm-hmm. and um, the, when, when you're storytelling and you're, and you're talking about telling this story, there's a, there's a goal, there's, there's a message in there that you want to be able to relate. You know, when I had my accident down there, it was a dream. You know, I had been you know, I had been going down there on a regular basis, you know, and things like that and working with them. But what I found is after I had that accident, I mean, when I had the accident, I I thought I was dreaming Mm -hmm. in all honesty, when, when the bus hit me and I was in the, in the ambulance, um, I was laying there and I was thinking, what the hell did you do, Dana? You know, I was thinking I was in a, a dream-like state until they started wheeling me into the trauma unit. And that's when it all hit me. And the first thing I started thinking about is, oh, my God, my business. You know, I have nobody I can. It was only me. It was only me that was the business down there. And that's the first thing I was thinking about is, how am I going to do what I need to do down here? You know, and so the story, the the message there is you need to have a strategy for your business. If anything should happen, what's that strategy that someone can pick up? You know, whether it be a succession plan, whether it be, you know, whatever it is, you want to get to a point whereas your hard work does not go down the drain because of an accident that happened. And you want to be able to position yourself with an exit strategy, a succession plan. And these are all things that I talk to, to, to small and micro businesses right from the very beginning. It's not something that happens down the road. It's something that you want to have in place today. It makes a lot of sense. And when we yeah. talk about storytelling, there are two key moments in every story. Mm-hmm. Most people would say that a key moment in you was when you got hit by the bus. Mm-hmm. And actually that's, I don't think it is. The key mm-hmm. moment is when you realize laying in the hospital bed in the trauma unit. What about my business? No, this is assuming, of course, you know, at this point, you're probably going to survive. Right. <laughs> but right. you think, what about my business? I don't have a backup plan. That's a yeah. low point moment where you realize I'm about to lose everything. Yeah, no, that's, and that was my second thought. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> my first thought was when they were wheeling me down the, um, the corridor and the trauma unit. And I looked up at the air vents and I saw all the mold and mildew. And the first thing I thought of was, God, if I don't die from this accident, it's going to be from, you know, some kind of, uh, infection, you know, septic infection or something like that, you know? So yeah, it's, it's, those I could see where those stories are what draws the the um, the audience in. 
Yeah. By the way, what you just said is important to storytelling. You gave two small details that put me right there with you. Right. The mold right. and the mildew on the ceiling. Yeah. And exactly. then you put us into your head. If the accident doesn't kill me, the mold and the mildew probably will. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> what you did, you took us in your head, which is terrific, and uh -huh. you had some humor in the middle of a potentially tragic scene. There's, there's another outstanding side. storytelling. Yeah, there's another side to this that's actually my husband. Okay. You know, okay. From another point of view. Yes. Okay. When the accident happened down in Brazil, my realtor called my husband and said, you need to get down here. Your wife's been hit by a bus. Okay. It wasn't until a year later or so, my husband relayed his feelings at the point when he heard this. Mm -hmm. And it took him 72 hours to get down to um, Brazil to where I was. And he didn't know what he was coming to. And he had gotten calls from people, you know, you need to get down here, you know, that type deal. And I remember him telling me the story from his point of view. And it had me in tears all over again because I didn't think about what he went through. You know, he said, imagine getting this, you know, he, he had the audience close their eyes. Imagine this. You get this call about your spouse. Okay. And here's what it is. And imagine it taking 20, 72 hours for you to get to even find out what's going on. And imagine the, the anxiety that you're feeling. You can't get there any quicker. You know, so he had the whole audience thinking about, okay, putting them into that situation. And like I said, I hadn't even thought until then about what he went through. It was all about me. <laughs> sure. Well, that's terrific storytelling. Imagine yeah. is one of the most powerful right. words in the English language for storytelling. Exactly. There's exactly. another powerful word that most people don't think about. It mm -hmm. may be the most important word in storytelling. And the word is but. It negates or, everything. Well, it doesn't negate everything in storytelling. Oh, okay. It's true in speaking and leadership and sales. Absolutely be careful, uh -huh. but it is a critical word in storytelling. And here's why. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always have to be the word, but mm -hmm. so here's an example, Dana, you can answer this question. Is this a story? A beautiful princess meets a handsome prince. They fall in love. They get married. They live happily ever after. Is that a story? Mm-hmm. It is from the sense that Typical there, are story. Yeah. there are characters and there's a right. bit of a plot. However, mm -hmm. the best stories don't begin until there's conflict. So here's a slightly better version. Okay. A beautiful princess meets a handsome prince. They fall in love. They get married. They live happily ever after. But then the abduction happened. Right. What just happened in your brain? Yeah. You start Reduction. feeling sorry. <laughs> Feel sorry. Yeah. You start feeling sorry. You start, you want to know more. I want to know more. Who got abducted? Why yeah. was the abduction? What happened? Did the person live? Did the person die? Your brain loves, it's curious. Yeah. That doesn't start until you get the word, but however, until 
right. some version of that. And if you do not have that moment in your story, you don't have a story. You've got a narrative. Wow. It's a big difference. So what is the most important part of the story or a presentation? Terrific question. It is the thought process of the audience while they're listening to your story. What pictures are you creating in their minds? Mm -hmm. What feelings are you invoking? What emotions are you triggering? Okay. So that would explain why you wouldn't want to get up there and just speak off the top of your head because you don't have a strategy for how you're going to take that audience through the emotions. Exactly right. It's critical that you practice, rehearse this and get feedback. Right. And find out. And whenever I give a presentation, I I give an evaluation sheet. And my three questions are, what moved you? What made you think? What part was confusing? I'm not worried, especially in the beginning. I'm not worried about what I do with my body, my hands, gestures, which I don't like even like the word gestures because gestures to me connotates that you are sticking in a movement just because you think it's adding to it and it doesn't look natural. All I'm trying to do in the beginning is make sure what, are you clear on my message? Mm Mm-hmm. Because the story really isn't about you, the speaker. It's about, mm-hmm. it's about you, but it's for the audience. Right. The best it's stories transport us into the world. For example, when you said the mold and mildew on the ceiling, I was right there with you. Mm-hmm. Just saying accident, trauma unit. Uh, okay, I got a little bit, but when you start to give t- just two or three details, I'm right uh-huh. there. Mm-hmm. Now I'm feeling it and I am in your world and that's what we want. Right. Okay. Okay. Yes. But All right. our, unless we are triggering their emotions, their feelings and getting them thinking, we're not succeeding as storytellers. And that is the most important part. Okay. All right. So what are the major differences between in-person and virtual presentations? In person, we can, all five of our senses are engaged. I can see you. I can hear you. I can feel the temperature in the room, not just physical temperature, but emotional temperature. Mm -hmm. I can smell the smells, taste the taste. There's food in the room. Mm -hmm. On camera, three of those senses are completely wiped out. And I can only see what your camera picks up. And I can only hear what your microphone picks up. So I have to be much more engaging. I don't just stand in front of the camera and speak, mm-hmm. or I don't just put, now it's a little different in a podcast interview, right. but I'm about to do a, a live stream after our, our call uh-huh. today. And in that, I don't just get on camera and speak. I'm constantly switching it up. I've got a guest today I'm bringing on. We're going to show some slides. You have to move in your field of vision in in front of your camera. Don't just stand there like a statue. Don't hide behind slides. Constantly change it up. Uh, I was listening to the book, which I think is such a funny phrase. I was listening to a book (laughs) called Brain Rules. And the author, John Medina, is a brilliant brain scientist. And this was probably 10 years ago. He said the brain needs change up no more than every 10 minutes. 
And what we're wow. finding in the virtual world, it's about every three to five. I was going to say, yeah. Change it yeah. up fast. And that's why it's so important to have a co-host or somebody who can be a, a co-presenter with you. Yeah. And well, I mean, just this dialogue here. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. I even think the male female is really important because you want pers- different perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So exactly. That's the biggest difference, Dana, is you cannot just stand there and speak. You yeah. got to get people involved as soon as possible. Now, the best speakers were doing this pre-pandemic. They were already doing this. They got their audiences involved in live settings, but this right. just ramped it up. And right. we have a lot more tools available to us to do that online. Right. Okay. Okay. So how would coaching help? in developing the skill sets that you need to be a storyteller on stage? I don't think it's just storytelling coaching or speaking coaching. I don't care what the field is. We each need a coach. And yes, you would expect me to say that because that's part of what I do is coaching and training. Here's why. We cannot see the power of our own stories. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. And I don't throw that word out lightly. I've worked with, I don't know how many people in the last 10 years. And I have world-class coaches and mentors who've helped me. Mm -hmm. And we all, none of them, they all have their own coaches because you can't see the impact. You can't see the blind spots because you lived it. It's your experience and your story suffers from the curse of knowledge. You know it so well that often you don't, you don't know what parts are the ones that are most revealing. I have a group of coaches I work with every week. We host a global uh, weekly coaching call where we will have people on and we will give them some feedback on their stories. Kind of like Toastmasters. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it's more intense, but it's very focused. Right. And I, I, this has been a godsend to my business and me, my growth as a coach is just being right. around world-class people. I'm not exaggerating when I say this. Every single person who comes on, at some point, they will throw a comment out and all the coaches will be like, ah, that's it. And they're like, what? I don't understand. They don't see it. Yeah. I'm yeah. a coach. I can't see the power of my own story. Oh, when you, you talked about the, 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 the dust and everything and how that actually resonated with you, I wouldn't have thought it would. <laughs> no, a good coach more than anything is going to ask the, the best, uh, the, the deep questions to dig deep, to uncover those supposedly little details, but they're not little. No, because they take us into your head and your heart at those key moments and you don't think of it. You don't know. I keep this golden shovel on my desk. (laughs) One of my fellow coaches in Australia, she's brilliant. And she said one day, you know, it's too bad. We don't have shovels or we can't dig into our clients. And I thought, well, why not? So I went on Amazon and I found this golden shovel asking to go deeper, to dig to where one of my coaches taught me that place you don't want to go yeah. is the place you need to go. If you truly want to impact an audience, it's the vulnerability. It's the authenticity because the pain is where you connect with us. And it doesn't matter whether you're on stage, whether you're meeting with a client, whether you're, you know, 
speaking with a team at work, you know, you need to show that vulnerability. You need to show that, that, but you know, or else it's not going to be a true connection. No, it's not. And I would yeah. urge your listeners and even you, Dana, think about the most meaningful speeches, sales presentations or conversations you've ever had. Mm-hmm. There's a very good chance that that other person revealed a part of him or herself. Right. And you instantly felt connected. Right. Right. And I find that happens a lot of times when I'm sitting down with a new client or whatever, because I don't come right out and ask for the sale or anything like that. I sit down and I develop that relationship over lunch, over coffee or whatever. And we'll just talk like we're friends. And what that reveals is, I can read between the lines and I can start finding out what it is that they're struggling with and where I can help them. And it's the same thing when we're talking about storytelling, you know, uh, what you're doing is you're getting them to open up. You're getting your audience to open up and know, like, and trust you. Yeah, absolutely. And where I find the the group, and I don't like to lump people together as a general rule, I do find, though, that leaders, the higher up, the more reluctant they tend to be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because they're afraid that this is piercing a veil or a mask that they've put on. Yeah. And what they don't understand is that is going to make them even stronger as leaders because people will say, oh, this leader gets me. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. The C-level, you know, they have a very hard time uh, being vulnerable in front of employees, clients, Mm -hmm. anything for fear that they're not going to be respected. When in actuality, they're going to be more respected. Yep, they are. And I I get it. Leaders, there's sometimes there's a little bit of a distance you have to have with your team. I understand that. But that doesn't mean you can't share some of your hardships because people will follow you when they understand you. So what's one of the most common mistakes you see in stories? Way too much backstory and information. It's, uh, I, I mentioned the word, but earlier, the, the quicker you can get to the, but in your story, the, mm-hmm. the faster you get engagement. I jokingly tell people you need a, your story needs a really big, but <laughs> what I find is that most stories begin with a lot of detail. And the, the key word there is, and if you hear somebody say, well, it was this time frame, and this is what I was doing and this and that, and if it's a series of ands that goes on for five minutes, it's way too long and you're going to lose people, especially in today's world with attention spans where they are. So give us three good details, uh, some context, but then get us to the, but get us to the misdirection, which starts the conflict in the story going. That's the biggest challenge. And the other is just not going deep enough. Right. Not skimming over key points and not taking us into those key moments. And this goes to public speaking in general, not just storytelling. Most people, Dana, are putting way too much information. Yeah. I call it the lunch buffet syndrome. (laughs) Before the pandemic, you know, when we would go to these buffets, if you and I would go to a buffet, we'd go, we'd be seated, we'd, we'd We'd go over to the wherever all the food was, okay, we grab yeah. our plates, fill it up, sit back down, take two bites and think 
that's a lot of money for a buffet. I'm going to get my money's worth today. Yeah. <laughs> so we go back second and third time. And when it's over, we sit back and we're stuffed. Oh my gosh. And uh, that's what we That's why I today. never, I never go for buffets because I can't eat that much. That's right. <laughs> I can't eat my money's worth. You know? Yeah. And you know what? That This is what uh, speakers think they should do to their audiences. Right. I got to right. give them everything I've got, which two reasons. Number one, they're so eager about their, their topic. They love it so much. More commonly, it's insecurity. Wow. I got to prove to them I know what I'm talking about. And that's that's critical. You know, yes. that's critical. And that's where the vulnerability comes in. Because if you're vulnerable and you explain, like me with my, my uh, small solo uh, micro entrepreneurs, you know, I come right out and I tell them, I've been there, done that. I've had two failed businesses. I'll tell you what you're thinking. Because I know exactly, you know, I, I have been there and immediately they can, they can resonate with me because I understand, you know, yeah, if I was absolutely. to come, if, if I was to come just straight from corporate America and try and do this, you know, I wouldn't get the same respect that I do having failed twice before, yep. you know, yep. and the, the lessons learned I got since the last time. So. Well, this goes to your question about speaking. It's the same in business. You do not get good until you've had your nose bloodied, fallen down, gone bankrupt, whatever it is, depending on what you did with it. If you didn't wallow in it, you got back up and said, okay, what can I learn from this? Move on. There you go. That's exactly. the kind of person I want to follow. Exactly. So we're coming up to the end of another podcast here on Charged Up Studio. And Michael, do you have any last minute advice you want to leave with our audience or something that a giveaway or anything that you want them to know? If you'd like to do a deeper dive into storytelling, uh, I, I, there's a complimentary resource I have called 52 Storytelling Tips. Just go to 52storytellingtips.com. That's it's a weekly email that comes to you. It's a five minute audio lesson. The idea is to slowly build one skill on top of another. So feel free. That's yours. Again, you're, you're not going to get spammed. It's, it's my list. Nobody else gets it. The thought that I will leave you with is this. You have a story that people need to hear. You just don't realize it because you've lived it. It's no big deal to you. I know people that I have a client who's a Hall of Fame professional football player, considered to be the greatest at his position who ever lived. And when he told me his backstory, he didn't think anything of it. And it was a rough upbringing. Mm. I said, that's the story we have to tell. Right. So you don't see it, right. but I promise you it's there. Find a good coach, find a group. Toastmasters is a great place to start. Find people that can help you see what you can't. And I promise you'll have a lasting impact that will last far beyond the time that you tell your story. Exactly. So how can people get a hold of you, Michael, should they want more information? You just reach out to me, Mike, at speakingcpr.com. Okay. Or just go to speakingcpr.com. I would be more than happy to talk with you, have a complimentary conversation just to talk about your speaking or storytelling. Okay. So once again, this marks the end of another episode of Charged Up Studio, when small business entrepreneurs get charged up for success. 
So please don't forget to leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to us on or visit our Facebook page at Charged Up Studio and leave a review. For more information on Marketatomy, go to marketatomy.com. Until next week, I look forward to having another Charged Up week and talk to you later. Bye-bye. It's a constant reminder that I have to keep... This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.